0: Let me say again what a, a privilege and an honor it is for our family to be here with you folks tonight. Uh, we are absolutely thrilled that a week from tomorrow we get to fly out to Honolulu, Hawaii. Uh, for the last, uh, probably around 2011 or so, God began... Uh, dealing with our hearts about going back to Honolulu and starting a church there. Uh, and that's kind of when the praying, planning, preparing process began. Uh, and then for the last 12 months we've been traveling uh, really nationwide. I counted up today, uh, Grace Baptist Church is the 99th church that we've been in. Uh, my kid says, oh, we, if we had one more we could break 100. And I said, no, we're not doing one more. This is it. So um, you guys are the 99th church that we've been in to so I present our ministry And so just the last 12 months have just kind of been kind of a whirlwind of the U.S. tour that we've made. I mean, we've been all the way from Seattle, Washington, all the way down to Alabama, all the way up to Connecticut, all the way down to San Diego, California. I mean, crisscross the United States every way you can imagine. And this is it for us. This is kind of the end. Uh, So I thought if we're going to go out anywhere, we're going to go out in a big city like Sydney, right? No better. The launching pad. Uh, for a new Bible preaching church in Honolulu, Hawaii, is the Grace Baptist Church of Sydney, Ohio. We are thrilled to be here with you folks today. Uh, and really, if I can just take a moment and say thank you to my wife and family—they they're the ones who've really made the sacrifice over the last 12 months to uh, kind of—we've been homeless for the last 12 months. If you can imagine that, uh, sleeping in different cities every night. Uh, not knowing what time zone you're in, uh, your kids not knowing where they're going to church or who is their pastor is always confusing for them because there's a new pastor twice a week. So uh, it's uh, my, my family has certainly paid the price. I and mean, sweetheart, I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, my wife is my best friend in the entire world, uh, and she has been a trooper for this. And, and all three of my kids have been uh, totally awesome through all this. I told them today we got out of the car and shut the door. I said, "This is it. It's all over for us." So uh, for us. The faith prayer planning that took place back in January of 2011 is now coming to fruition as we're really just a week away from heading over to Honolulu. And if you would do us a favor and just pray for us, that would be the best thing that anybody in the world could do for us. If you could stop by our table, if you haven't already gotten one of these cards, pick one up and stick it somewhere and remember to pray for us because... Uh, if you can imagine going to uh, a large city area, a large downtown metropolitan area and trying to get something started from scratch, it's going to be a lot of work. But you also have a place that's um, gospel starved like Honolulu would be uh, in a lot of multiple challenges over and over again. I realize that this is something way bigger than I can do on my own. Uh, I recognize it's going to require God's power and the prayer of His people. And if you folks would pray for us, that would mean the world. And if I had one prayer request to give you, it would be this simply one word favor. Uh, I believe God's favor does incredibly amazing things. Um God has the capability to open doors that would normally be shut for other people. Uh God has the opportunity to put his hand of blessing upon uh, us and our ministry and that's really what we're praying for because we know that if God is before us preparing the way, everything's going to fall into place. Uh so we are we're thrilled to to, to be able to do that. Uh, your your pastor said so so truly that mission is really sacrificing. People say, oh, you know, I'd love to go to Hawaii and start a church. You probably would for about six weeks because it's a blast for the first six weeks living in Hawaii. I mean, you think you wake up every day in one of the most beautiful places in the world. But after about a month and a half of it, it's like living in Sydney. You wake up, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed. You know, It's a, it's a city like any other. But for us, we're looking at it from the perspective of we now have 400,000 people that we are eternally responsible for. That's kind of a heavy thing to put on somebody. But for us, we realize that, that getting the gospel to a, a large city like Honolulu has now become our, our life's calling and our responsibility. So we realize we've got our work cut out for us. And it's one of those where you kind of sit back at the end of the day and you go, wow, this is huge. This is bigger than anything I can do on my own. And so if you would pray for us that, that God would uh, do what only God can do, that would mean the world to us. Uh, we're thrilled to be here with you folks. I just had a blast spending some time at the, the Mexican restaurant right around the corner with your pastor today. Uh, Your pastor's a thinker. He likes to think things through. He likes to research things. He's very analytical. Uh, And he and I had a great talk at lunchtime today, and uh, I was thoroughly encouraged by him uh, because you have somebody who has a passion uh, for the Bible, a passion for truth, a love for the local church, and a love really for you people. And so you guys have something special in your pastor. I hope you know that. And what God is doing here at Grace Baptist is very special as well. To have churches that uh, are still on fire for missions, still on fire for reaching their local community, still uh, loving the Bible, and loving people. That's, I hate to say it, but in America that we live in today, that's becoming less and less common. So a church like this is a bright spot for us. Uh, your pastor said, how many churches have you been in that are like our church where you're just excited, encouraged, and people are good people? I said, we've been blessed with a lot of really, really good churches. I said, maybe three or four dozen out of 100 so that's less than half, uh, for those of you that are, are math people, I am not. Uh, that's less than half of the churches we've been in are, are a great, bright spot for us like this. I was telling your pastor this afternoon, there have been churches that we've been in where we said, I leaned over to my wife and I said, as soon as the pastor says, hey, Amen, I want you to go back and pack up our stuff and get to the parking lot, we've got to get out of here. And there have been churches like that before, but then there's churches like this where you say, Man, I almost wish I lived in Sydney so I could like, come to a church like this and hang out with people like this and just be around good, encouraging people. Uh, I'm telling you this, I've I heard very few pastors on the last 12 months that spend as much time in the Bible as your pastor did. This, this morning's message, if you are here this morning... Most churches, that would be about six weeks worth of preaching, okay? Uh, there was just a lot of Bible there, and it was always turn here, turn there, and I felt sorry for the new guys that were here, right? If, if you're here and you don't know your Bible, this is a bad morning to come, okay? <laughs> but. But but you know what? I hope that's a challenge for those that don't know their Bibles to get to know their Bible, you know? And, and so I'm so thankful that churches like this exist, and I hope that you are too. And I said this this morning. This might just be the church up the street or maybe the church you've always gone to, but I want you to know this. God's doing something special here. Don't ever get over that and continue moving forward, if you will. So uh, that that was just part of the introduction. That isn't, isn't even anything that I wanted to talk about tonight, but turn in your Bibles, go you to John chapter 14. My wife gave me a hint uh, tonight. She said, sweetheart, did you see how the pastor kind of cut his message short because he wanted to go to lunch today? And I said, yeah. She goes, J- just a thought. just want to put that out there for you. <laughs> wow. Okay. Thanks, sweetheart. God bless you. Uh, so if it's an abbreviated message, it's my wife's fault tonight. Uh, but uh, John chapter 14, just kind of give you a little bit of context of where... This passage falls in your Bible as far as the story of Jesus. Jesus at this point in his ministry has come down to the end. Uh, The crucifixion is on the horizon a couple of days away. He's just got through telling his apostles, Guys, I'm leaving and I'm going to come back one day, but it's not going to be anytime soon. Uh, at this point, they've already gone to the upper room. Jesus whoever said, whoever puts their hand in the sop of me is going to be the person who betrays me. Judas did that. Judas split. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, hey, I'm not going to let this happen. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, no way, not me. So then we come into John chapter 14, where we pick up here. And Jesus is kind of telling guys, hey, I'm going to die, but it's okay because of this. That's kind of the surrounding context of this particular passage. That's where we pick up at tonight. John chapter 14, we're going to start in verse 1 here. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, if you're in the habit of writing your Bible or making notes or anything like that, which I highly recommend that you do, circle verse 6, because this is really, really important stuff. This is a pivotal verse in the entire New Testament here, what Jesus says. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, people who would say, multiple ways to heaven, we're all kind of on the same path that leads the same direction, Jesus refutes that right out. Uh, So this is a very, very pivotal verse for us as far as our faith is concerned. And and I always bring somebody to this verse when I'm sharing the gospel with them. They say, I think I can make it without Jesus. Well, Jesus disagrees with you, okay? And that's really important. Uh, Verse 7. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto them, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? That will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, Jesus in this particular passage getting ready to go. This is kind of it for him. last instructions that he's given to his apostles before he goes to the cross. He says to them, hey, I've got some things that are lined up for you. And they're big, really big stuff. Bigger than anything you've seen to this point. And anything that you've seen me do... You're going to do also, and here's the thing, you're going to do greater works than I have done. Now, Jesus in this passage is not talking about greater in size, but he's talking greater in the uh, geographical location, greater on the scale of magnitude of what was getting ready to take place upon Jesus' ascension into heaven. We know that when Jesus ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit then came. And this whole Christianity thing split out of Jerusalem and really went worldwide from there. That's what Jesus is talking about in this passage. We're going to see greater works take place. Uh, I remember as a, a kid growing up in Kentucky, I uh, grew up in a town called Benton, Kentucky, little bitty podunk redneck town, wherever everybody drives pickup trucks. And Fourth uh, of July, everybody flies a Confederate flag and stupid stuff like that. That's where I come from. <laughs> um, just redneck hickville, okay? Uh, and I remember growing up in, in that town. And my dad owns a body shop there. He's owned a body shop since I was a uh, uh, since I was born. He's going on 40 years of business there in Benton, working on cars. And I always thought that was the greatest thing in the world. My dad, my dad is one of the hardest working men I've ever met in my entire life. He's in his mid 60s now and he still puts in a solid 10, 11 hours a day at his shop working on cars. I always thought that was the coolest thing in the world, you know. You guys grow up, we senior your dad work, you think, man, one of these days I want to be like my dad. And so when I was uh, 15 years old, we bought a 65 Mustang Coupe, it was going to be my very first car when I turned 16, and so we bought this, it was kind of a fixer-upper, And so me and my dad spent an entire summer working on this Mustang, uh, pulling the interior out, and redoing the interior, pulling the engine out, redoing the engine, I mean, it was awesome. Me and my dad just turning wrenches all day and stuff like that, and I was pumped. I got to be about 16, 17 years old. In the summer times, I'd help my dad in the shop. And i never forget one day I walked into the shop. Me and my dad were working on a car in there. And I said, hey, Dad... You know, I I was thinking, like after I graduate high school, you know, I could come back here and work in the shop with you for a few years. Maybe by the time I'm like 20 or 21, I could kind of start taking over some of the responsibilities of the shop. And you know, one of these days, this could be kind of like a family thing. And then I would like own the shop and manage the shop. Wouldn't that something like that be cool? I mean, do we have? Can we do that? My dad is a, a very even-tempered person. Uh, my dad's never raised his voice one time at me in my entire life. He just has the look that he gives you, you know. Uh, and my dad looked at me, and he gave me the look. Like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and I'll never, I'll, if I live to be 100, I'll never forget, forget this day. He took index finger and pointed at me. And he said, son, I've worked way too hard my entire life to have my kid grow up and work in a body shop. Never going to happen. He turned around and he walked out. I thought, wow, that did not go well, right? (laughs) But I look back now and I think how small-minded I was to think that the pinnacle of life would be to work in a body shop. That would be the best thing that one could ever possibly do. Because here's the thing. My dad, for me, had bigger plans in mind for me. He wasn't going to allow me to be, be captivated by small thinking. He had big plans for me. My kids, I, I have big plans for my kids. If you're, if you're a parent here, hopefully you've got plans for your kids, right? And your plans don't necessarily have to be they go to medical school and do all this. But you want big stuff for your kids. Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to say, man, I hope my kids grow up to be losers. <laughs> Teenagers, none of your folks are thinking to themselves, I really hope they're hanging around when they're like 35, just kind of fig- trying to figure life out. And, you know, to- <laughs> no, you say to yourself, I hope. They get a good education. I hope they get a good job. I hope they meet somebody that they can love and spend the rest of their life with. I hope they live happily ever after. That's what we all want for our kids, right? Jesus, in this particular passage, as he's leaving, he wants big things for his apostles. Jesus, as he writes this for us to read later, he wants big things for us. But so many times, our small-mindedness doesn't allow us to do great things for God. Here's the thing Jesus expects of all of us in this room that know him as Lord and Savior. He expects great things from us. This idea of average Americanized Christianity, where we show up to church once, twice, maybe three times a week and kind of just say a couple of prayers and take our Bible home to sit until next Sunday. That is not the Christianity of the Bible. That was never what Jesus intended for us to do. Jesus didn't die on the cross to pay for our sins. He didn't send us the Holy Spirit to do supernatural works, only to have us sit back and just kind of coast through life. It was never the intention of this. Jesus created us for greater works. Are you seeing greater works in your life, or are you just kind of seeing the average? And if you're seeing the average, that's not a bad thing, but are you content with the average? That's a very bad thing, to live an average life and be completely and totally content with that. For, for me, I knew that living in Benton, Kentucky for the rest of my life was not big plans for me. I joined the Navy because the Navy was the quickest way out of Benton, Kentucky without having to go to college. So I signed up for it. So, uh, but my dad said, hey, you know, you want to go in the military and do something with your life? Go for it. And that was kind of the, the plan in motion that God put in my, my life to get me to Pensacola, Florida, to meet my wife, to get me to Honolulu, Hawaii, to see the need there, to get me plugged into a Bible-preaching church where God shaped me, molded me, developed me, to send me off to a Bible college to train me further, that 10 years later I could go back and start a church. That was God's big plan. And I'm thankful that I had a dad somewhere along the way who said, you're not going to work in a body shop, right? Jesus, in the same passage, has big plans for you and I. Are you accomplishing those big plans? Are you seeing those greater works in your life, or have you been content with the average? If Jesus created us to do greater works on a global scale, why are we so content with the average? I want to give you really four simple ingredients that come from this particular passage, four prerequisites that we need to see greater works in our lives. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, just jot these four simple, simple thoughts down. There's nothing going to be groundbreaking in this passage here, but very, very important, I believe. I told somebody this afternoon, I said, you got to come back tonight to hear what I'm going to say. And they go, oh, you must think you're a good preacher. No, I'm a horrible preacher. The messenger has absolutely nothing to do with why you should come back. But I'm telling you this, if you'll grab a hold of this message that's from the Bible, not from me, this could be huge for you, okay? Big very first thing that I see in this particular passage here, greater works require a relationship with Jesus. And you say, well, that's simple. I got saved when I was nine or I got saved when I was 15 or something like that. The relationship here that we're talking about, first and foremost, needs to be a salvation relationship. If you're not saved, you're never going to see greater works in your life, bottom line. But after that, after you're saved, we're talking about a close, tight-knit relationship with Jesus. In this particular passage, it's funny how sometimes when we go through the Bible, we give uh, guys like Peter a hard time for saying stupid stuff to Jesus. Uh, We often say that Peter had the the foot and mouth disease, where he always said something stupid and stuck his foot in his mouth, and he always did. We also give uh, Thomas grief, for being doubting Thomas, where he's always like, yeah, Lord, show me, and then I'll believe you. But in this particular passage, I think somebody who says one of the dumbest things that anybody ever says to Jesus is in uh, verse 9, where Philip says to Jesus, take a look if you would there. Verse 7, Jesus says, If ye had known me, you should have known the Father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Look at what Philip says to Jesus. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Can you imagine? Jesus says, hey, you know, if, if, you've, seen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip says, well, Jesus, if you'll show us the Father, that'll, that'll do for us, that'll suffice us. Can you imagine? Jesus, you're going to have to prove it. So you know, pull out your ID or whatever you got to show us the Father and we'll believe what you are, who you say you are. Take a look at what Jesus says to Philip here in, the, in verse 9. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? I imagine Jesus kind of looking at Philip, head cocked to one side, scratching his head, going, Are you serious, Philip? Are you kidding me? How long have we been together, Philip? How long have you walked with me and you don't even understand what's going on here? See, we see that somebody can spend a lot of time with Jesus and still not have a relationship with Him. Spend a lot of time with Jesus but don't even understand who He is. Let me ask you this question. How's your relationship with Jesus? How's that walk with Him? Is it tight like it should be? Young people, the best thing you'll ever do in your entire life right now is to establish in a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. best thing you'll ever do in your entire life is have a tight relationship with Him. For us as adults, the best thing you'll ever do in your entire life is have a tight relationship with Jesus. Because when we do that, that's kind of the prerequisite. That's the foundation that we need to see greater works accomplished in our life. Here's the thing. If I am, have distance between me and Jesus, I'm never in a million years ever going to see greater works from Him. Ever. How do you know that? Well, if you take a look back and down in John chapter 15, Jesus goes through the, I am the vine, ye are the branches, the pastor was talking about this morning, that particular passage here. Just skip down in your Bible, if you go if you to John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus saith, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. Not you can't do the great works, you can't do works, period, without a relationship with Jesus. But so many times we, we trick ourselves into believing that the distance between me and Jesus isn't really that big of a deal. But it is. It's everything. And what creates distance between me and Jesus? I think one of the plagues of American Christianity, number one, is laziness. The fact that I just don't care. Apathy. Apathy. The fact that I would be, would much rather sit and watch American Idol or So You Think You Can Dance or America's Got Talent and see who's going to do what this week than I would to spend 10 minutes of my Bible in the morning with, with Jesus. That's a problem. That, it says a lot about our heart at this point. But I think one of the, the greatest thing that, that divides us and the, one of the things that creates that apathetic attitude is sin in our life. Sin always creates distance between me and Jesus every single time. I can't be tight with him when there's sin in my life. I can't have a prayer life at all when there's sin in my life. The, the, David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. ever been a time in your life where you've been praying and you don't feel like your prayers are getting higher than the ceiling? Have you ever been there before? You've got to stop and ask yourself, is there sin in my life? Because sin would keep God from hearing me. It would keep a tight relationship for like that from being strained. How's your relationship with Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you tight together? If you're not, you're never going to see the great works that He wants to accomplish in your life. Those of us that are parents, we have an obligation, a responsibility, a directive from God to make sure that our children have a walk with Jesus. Amen. It's tough. It really is. Uh, my oldest son, Thaddeus, is 19 years old. We still have talks. How's your walk with God doing? Where are you at in your Bible reading? What's something that God's taught you this summer? We still have those conversations. Because God has entrusted him to me to care for for him. I hear, I hear parents all the time say the dumbest things in the world. They'll say things like, well, you know what? I'm just going to let my kids kind of do their thing. And they'll, they'll make up their mind as far as their faith is concerned when they're older. I don't want to push anything on them. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That's right. We as parents are given a God-given responsibility to make sure that our children have a tight walk with God. Amen. And I want my kids to see greater works worse than anything in the world. All of us as parents should want our kids to go on to do better than we did. I hope my, my kids go on to do greater things for God than I ever did. But that's not going to happen by accident. It's going to take an intentional investment on our part to make sure that that happens. So first thing we see in this particular passage here that greater works are going to require a real deal relationship with Jesus. And the, the awesome part about having a relationship with Jesus is Jesus left us here to do a supernatural work. I like the word supernatural because it means defies human logic and reasoning. God doesn't want you to live an average life. He doesn't want you to live... And I'm not saying things like God wants you to drive a Ferrari and and live in a really, really big house. I'm saying God doesn't want you to do what everybody else can do. We have been given the power of the Holy Spirit to do supernatural things. Here's the thing for our family. We're not going to the city of Honolulu to try to get a a, a Bible study of five or six people together just kind of chit-chat about the Bible. I'm going there with the hopes that God can send Holy Spirit power upon a city of 400,000 people. That God would do things that we'd leave us scratching our heads saying, what do we do next because we've never seen God move like this before? That's the expectation that we have because Jesus left us here to do greater works. Take a look at what he says in verse 12 there. He says, greater works. Are you seeing the greater works? That's exactly what He left us here to do and left us to accomplish. So first of all, we have to have a relationship with Jesus. Secondly, in this passage, I see that we have to have a yielding to God. Now, yield, I don't like yield signs on the road. I don't know if you're like me or not, but when I drive through a sign that says yield, I always look to see if I can speed up fast enough to get in front of the car in front of me, right? Yield is kind of not, not like a slow down and wait for everybody else. It's kind of a hurry up and jump out in front of everybody else, sign for me. That's, I know that's not the way it's supposed to work. So me, by my very nature, I hate to yield to anybody. I don't let it, like to let anybody go in front of me. Um, one of the things I hate the most is uh, to see people cutting lines at theme parks. It just drives me bananas. Wait, your stinking turn like everybody else, right? Now, my, my wife will tell you, I almost... <laughs> I don't, she, she remembers this. I almost said, I don't know if she remembers this. not, but a Knott's Berry Farm we had a guy who was cutting line and I basically said to the guy, hey man, knock it off. And he turned around to me and said, mind your own business. Well, well, no, no, no. My business is that me and my wife and kids have been waiting for about the last 30 minutes to get in line to ride this roller coaster and you're a jerk and you just jumped over the rail here, okay? I've got a problem with that and that now is my business. And a couple other people were like, leave the guy alone. I'm not going to leave the guy alone. Did everybody just see what he did? (laughs) So this whole concept of yielding doesn't jive well with my personality. But that's exactly what God commands us to do. You want to see incredible things happen in your life? First thing you need to do, yield to God. What does that mean? That means everything that Anthony King wants out of his life. All my hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations, plans that I have, I need to stick those over to the side and say, God, what would you want me to do? Because I don't want to do my own thing. I don't know about you before, but I've seen what my own power can accomplish, and it's atrocious. It's horrible, okay? I want to see what God can do. Young people, the best thing you can do in your entire life, yield to God. God, what do you want me to do? The attitude that you need to take into teen camp tomorrow. God, speak to me. Whatever you tell me to do, do it. Whatever you got planned for my life, I'm yours. I want to be used by you. It's funny to me in this passage as I read through it. Take a look at what Jesus says in verse 10 here. Jesus says, "Believest thou not that I am the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, He doeth the works. Isn't that crazy that Jesus, God in the flesh, would say, hey, the things that you see me do, I'm just doing what the Father in me is doing, because the Father is doing the works, not me. That's kind of a head-scratcher for us, you know? that Jesus would subject himself and allow God to work through him. Wow, what a pattern for us to follow. Amen. If I want to do greater works, the only way that I'm going to do that is allow God to do that through me. It's often people say, Brother King, thanks for doing this. I think, no, don't thank me. Thank God because I didn't have anything to do with it. Anything good that comes out of Anthony King was not a result of Anthony King. I'll promise you that. The Apostle Paul, who we would all look toward as, as like the model Christian to follow here, he says, hey, if there's anything good that comes out of my life, it's not the Apostle Paul. I know that it's in me. That's my flesh dwells no good thing. If anything good's going to come out of my life, it's going to come from a yielding to God, allowing God to work in me and through me. My wife and I, uh, when we got married, uh, we were baby, baby Christians. I grew up in uh, Southern Baptist Church where nobody ever really taught me how to live a Christian life. We... Uh, if you came to church three times a week, you were considered a good Christian. Uh, if you actually brought your Bible to church three times a week, you were like auto- automatically almost nominated to be a deacon. Uh, I mean, you're just like top-notch Christian if you just show up and have a Bible with you, right? So I never really knew what it meant to live the Christian life, to walk with Jesus. Never heard of that in my entire life. Uh, my wife grew up um, in an unsafe home. Her parents divorced when she was three. Uh, she grew up with her, her dad most of her growing-up years. And then when she was 13, moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, to live with her mom. Uh, and some friends had invited her, so I had a special speaker at, at, church, at school there one day that was having a revival service that night. And she and her friends got together and talked, and they said, Well, it's a Monday night, and if we go to church, then we could get out on a school night and stay out late, and that, that way we can tell our parents we're at church. Uh, so she did that. She went, and for the first time in her life at 13 years old, she heard the gospel for the very first time, and she got saved that night. Uh, She went back and told her mom, Mom, I got saved, and her mom was excited for her, uh, and things like that. And her mom said, Well, let's all go to church on Sunday. And they went to a Methodist church there. And from that point forward, she never heard the gospel again after that. It's amazing stuff. Uh, So when she and I got married, you're talking about baby, green-as-a-gourd Christians. That's exactly what we were. Uh, We got to to Honolulu, Hawaii, and got plugged into a solid Bible-preaching church there uh, that's been a huge help to us in getting this new church started. Uh, And the pastor that night, one night, preached a message on obedience, and I don't even remember where the passage was, what he was talking about, or anything like that. But I took my wife by the hand. We came and knelt at an altar, just like this. And I was young. I was—I didn't know a lot. I was really green, so I didn't know all the big prayers that one is supposed to pray. I didn't know all the big language that you're supposed to use when you pray to God. I didn't pray in King James English or anything like that. You know, it wasn't a uh, "Thou merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we beseech Thee therefore by the throne of grace." I, I didn't say any of that because I didn't know it. Okay. And for those of you that are keeping score at home, I don't think God really cares either. How about that? I, we walked forward and I said this. I said, God, if there's ever anything that you tell us to do, we tell you tonight. We're not going to argue about it. We're just going to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. We got up, went back to our seat. Thinking that was a good response to the message that we heard and stuff like that. That one decision, pivotal moment in our lives. Pivotal, because now when God spoke to us about something, we had already made a a covenant with him, a decision that we were going to follow whatever he told us to do. That was big for us, because you know what? When we heard about tithing and how we were supposed to give, well, what was your response to that? You can either obey or you can disobey. We already told God we'd obey, so we started tithing consistently before we tithed when we could, in quotes, afford to tithe, right? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But you know what we said, God, whatever you tells us to do, we'll do it. We heard a message one night about sharing your faith with other people and how that's why we had a Thursday night visitation program because that's how we share our faith with others and how we're supposed to share it at the workplace and things like that too. I told my wife, we left church that night. I said, Thursday night, we need to be here at 7 o'clock. Thursday night at 7 o'clock we show up and a pastor walks up and he goes, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, it's Thursday night visitation. And he goes, yeah, I know. Why are you guys here? I was just like, well, you told us we should come. And he was just like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on in. I think I've got a couple of people trying to play it off, you know. But we were the least likely people to show up on a Thursday night visitation. But God had told us we should, so we showed up. It came time to, for us, fast forward about 10 years or so, God began to say, I want you to go back and start a church in a major metropolitan city in America, in our 50th state. There was one response that we had to that. It wasn't up for discussion. I told my wife, I said, I believe God wants us to go start a church in Honolulu. And she said, How sure are you? And I said, 100%. And she said, Done. It was it. That was the lengthy discussion she and I had. It wasn't, What do we do with our dog? Who's going to take care of our house? Where are kids going to go? None of that. It was just, If God wants us to go, we're there. Being yielded to God, I'm telling you, will, will revolutionize your life. By saying, God, put me in the way of somebody who needs Jesus. Put me in the way of doing something great today. God, I want to see you to use me and my life to see greater works. I'm not seeing those yet, but first of all, it's going to require a tight relationship with Jesus. Secondly, a yielding to him and allowing him to do a work in and through you. Thirdly, I see in this particular passage, greater works requires a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. Take a look, if you would, at verse uh, 16. I will pray the Father... And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Here's the thing. Jesus told them, hey, I'm bringing you the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to do supernatural things. Now, your pastor and I were talking today. And he, he was explaining his, his thoughts on the filling of the Holy Spirit. and How it's the, it's the word of God dwelling richly in you. And I thought that was an incredible take on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what that looks like. And how that revolutionizes and changes our life when the word of God dwells in us richly. That's an amazing concept there. Let me ask you this question. How is your feeling of the Holy Spirit? Are you seeing the Holy Spirit doing incredibly awesome things through your life, or are you seeing the average? Again, for me, I know what I can do as far as getting a church started in Honolulu, and I'm not impressed with that, and I'm not looking for that. I want to see what God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, can do. You take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, one of the five instances of the Great Commission in the New Testament. Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Ghost, and when you do this, we're taking this thing worldwide. That's an incredible. Turn into it over there. This passage gets me fired up. Acts chapter one, verse eight. Just kind of a side note to this. Any missionary that doesn't get fired up about the Great Commission has got problems, okay? Uh, just mark that one down. You might want to write that in your margin something like that. I'm kidding. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now understand, in biblical times up until this point, the Holy Spirit didn't just come and dwell and, and and stay with somebody for a lifetime. It was kind of a come and go type of thing. When, when uh, David, uh, Psalm chapter 51, sinned with Bathsheba, they said, Take not that Holy Spirit from me. I don't want to lose your power. Upon my life, that you have uh, Saul, whenever he had sinned against God, God took His Holy Spirit from Saul. It was kind of a come and go kind of thing. But at this point, He says, "I am sending the Holy Spirit; He's going to stay with you, and I want you to hang out and wait till the Holy Spirit power comes upon you." What happens after that? Take a look, Acts chapter one, verse eight. You shall see power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. He's saying, "Hey." You're going to see greater works happen. We're going to see it happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come and you guys are taking this thing global. This isn't just a Jerusalem thing anymore. This isn't just a Jew thing anymore. This is going to be for the world. Let me ask you this question. By the power of the Holy Spirit, are you seeing the world impacted in your own personal life? I hope so. This church is a church that allows you to be involved globally. Globally through your missions giving program, through your mission praying for your missionaries, through the opportunity to go on mission trips, things like that allows you to, to touch the world with your life. Or are we focused on us too much? That was my problem. My majority of my beginning of my adult life, I had probably about a five, six year span where I was my God. Now, I was saved, that I was worshiping the wrong God. I worshiped the God of materialism, the God of me, that I wanted me to be happy when everything kind of turned the corner for us, is so when we turn that focus outward and look towards others. And say, God, use me by the power of your Holy Spirit to make a difference in other people. You going know, to see greater works happen in your life. God wants it worse than you do. Are you seeing greater works? How's your relationship with Jesus? How's your yieldedness to Him? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit's power to work in you? It's a powerful power. You read through the entire New Testament and see the things that the Holy Ghost is capable of doing. It's amazing. The Holy Ghost can take a a public school kid from Kentucky that grew up in an all-white county in one of the most redneck towns in all of America and drops him and his family in one of the most multi-ethnic cities in all of America. And this city just happens to be 100 times larger than his hometown. Who does that? The Holy Spirit, not me. If you look at my life, my life is completely and totally average. Ordinary, But God wants to do the extraordinary. He wants to see greater works take place in your life if you'll allow Him to. I was talking with Brother Ed uh, this morning right before the service started. Uh, we were just sitting in the back kind of chit-chatting and everything. I asked him, uh, what kind of work do you do, Brother Ed? And he says, well, I work at Honda, and I'm an, I'm an engineer, and we work with the engines and stuff like that. I said, oh, that's cool. He said something to me that stuck with me all day. And Brother Ed, I've been thinking about this all day. It's been running through my mind. He said this, I can't wait till I retire Because I want God to use my life to help other people. You know what that is? That's somebody looking for greater works. They say, hey, I realize what I'm doing now on a small scale is helping other people and stuff like that, but I can't wait until God frees me up a little bit more to do greater works. You know, the majority of Americans and even the majority of Christians think they're so I can't wait till I retire that way I can go fishing, uh, go riding four-wheelers and stuff like that. But if somebody say, hey, I can't wait till I retire so God can use me to a greater degree. That's, that's big. That's somebody that's looking for greater works. And is that your heart's desire? God use me to a greater degree than what I'm currently being used to? Or are you just content where you're at? I hope you're not. For me, God's called us to, to a city, to reach that city with the gospel. I'm not content with that. I want more. I want bigger. To to plant a, a church for Honolulu, that's that's goal number one. Somebody asked this morning uh, in Sunday school, "What's your kind of your long-term plan there?" Our long-term plan is to multiply disciples, just like they do in the Book of Acts. And step two, and our plan is to multiply churches, just like you see in the Book of Acts, multiple churches throughout our islands. Our, our next step is to impact the nations with the gospel. Okay, I have a I have. A vision that God has given me in my heart to plant a church that would shake a city that would be used to shake an island chain that would be used to shake the world, okay? That's kind of the big picture plan that I have. You say, that's crazy. Can you do it? I can't. God can. You really believe that God could use you and your family to to change the world? No doubt about it. So that's a pretty arrogant statement. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with me, so it can't be arrogant on my part. But I know this, as I read through the book of Acts, you have a ragtag group of fishermen that spent three years max with Jesus that the Bible says turned the world upside down. What could God do with our family, this church, if we got serious about it? Huh? I think to myself often, if Jesus can take men who walked with him for three years and use them to turn the world upside down, what do I have in my children that I have 18 years to train them to be servants of Jesus? That could be big. If you're a parent, I hope you're training your kids to be servants of Jesus. You say, oh, that sounds kind of militant to me. Well, guess what? The the Muslims are doing it for sure, okay? I told my wife, I said, look, we need to have more kids so we can have more workers for Jesus, you know? My oh, wife wasn't really keen on that idea. She said, Hey, you carry the kids and we're all she's all for it. So <laughs> But but for me, I'm I'm looking at doing something not through my power, the power of the Holy Spirit, to do something. Greater for Jesus. Last thing in this passage I see, and we're, and we're done here. Greater works, first of all, requires a relationship with Jesus. Secondly, yielding to God. Thirdly, a power from the Holy Ghost. Lastly, I see it requires a prayer that glorifies God. Verse 13, Jesus says this. I turn back to Buddha, John, chapter, or, yeah, John chapter 14. John 14, uh, 13, Jesus says this And whatsoever ye ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus tells us here, hey, if you pray a prayer, I'm going to do it. Now, that's sometimes how we read this passage. Jesus said, if I ask for it, he's going to give it to me. And I want to I be wildly successful and have dashingly really good looks. Uh, and I got the good looks part of it, so I'm uh, not dashingly really successful yet. But a uh, dashingly really good looking. No, Jesus isn't saying just ask whatever you want. I'll do it for you. Sometimes people interpret that and you see stupid people on TV preaching stupid stuff, right? Jesus is saying... Ask what you want so that the Father can be glorified. That's a different kind of spin on our prayer life. Many times we, our prayer life is a laundry list of what we want God to do for us. But how many of us, many of us have a prayer life that says, God, I want you to be glorified in this. God, I want you to receive maximum amount of glory from this. Our daughter, when she was uh, she's the cutest little thing in the world, she's four, four years old. Uh, she's asleep right now, and I didn't put her to sleep. But so... Um, Anyways, when she was uh, a year old, they found a lymph node uh, that was swollen on her. One of her lymph nodes uh, in her groin area was swollen up about the size of a softball, huge on a one-year-old baby, if you can imagine. They took us in. They said, "I think they think that she has lymphoma cancer." And that's one of the worst things in the world that a one-year-old could possibly have. My wife and I, you know, had a 10-15 minutes or so where we kind of just wrestled with that and thought about it. And at the end of it, we prayed a prayer that said this. God, if you want to take McKeeley from us, she belongs to you. She doesn't belong to us to begin with, first of all. But secondly, if you're going to allow her to go through this, I want you to receive the maximum amount of glory that you can from this situation. And whatever happens in this situation, you will get the glory from it. You know what? Come to find out she had some type of infection that they still, to this day, don't know what type it was. Uh, she went through about a six-month period of tests and things like that to figure out what was going on. They took out uh, some of her lymph nodes. She had that particular lymph node removed. And in the end, they, they scratched their head and they said, I don't really know what happened. It seems like she grew out of it. We've never seen this happen before. And I said, I know what happened. God healed her. And the story that we tell of that is God gets the glory from it because God healed our daughter. And I said, God, I want you to be glorified through this. Now, in my flesh, how did I want to pray? God, you gave this girl to me. Keep her alive until I get to see her married, until I get to see her uh, have grandkids, until I get to see her do this, because I want that. That's not the kind of prayer life that God blesses. want to see greater works happen in our life? Greater works happen when we seek God's greatest glory through our lives. What does your prayer life look like? CL 1 to 10, how good is it? 10 being the best, top-notch, off-the-chart prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? Is it a laundry list of the things you want done, or is it what you want to see God do through you so He you can receive maximum amount of glory? Uh, month of May, I went, went back to Honolulu looking at buildings and things like that. And there's a building right there in the middle of downtown Honolulu that we're kind of in, uh, getting ready to sign a lease on this week on. And, but I stood there in front of that building and put my hand on the, on the building. and I said, God, if you can use this old fantastic Sam's hair salon to give yourself glory in this city, I want you to give this to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask for this building so that you can get glory from it. I don't want it for me. If it's a pride thing for me to say that i got a building in downtown Honolulu, take it because I don't want it. I want you to be glorified through this. And I want to see you use this to advance your kingdom here on this earth. That's kind of a different prayer than I would have prayed probably five years ago. I prayed, God, give this to me so that I can show other people how great you are. You know, God doesn't need me for that, but if he can use me to get glory, I want him to. Is God being glorified in your life? Are you seeing him do the greater works in your life? How about, how about your, your family, those of us that are married, those of us that have children or grandchildren? Are you seeing greater works in your family, or are you just kind of seeing the average? For me, I began praying probably about a year and a half ago for my kids this prayer every single night. Every single night before I go to bed, I pray this. If my kids are, are with me, Thatcher's away at college this year, I continue to pray this for them. My kids were with me, I would place my hand on it and I would pray this. God raise up Thatcher to be a man of God that changes the world in his generation. God raise up Vanderlay to be a man of God that changes the world in his generation. God raise up Makila to be a woman of God that changes the world in her generation. See, I don't want my kids to grow up and be average. Young people, the worst thing you can do in your life is be average. I want God to use my kids supernaturally. I want God to use my life supernaturally to do what only He can do. Are you seeing that in your life or are you just got the average? One last passage of Scripture and, and we'll totally be done here. Turn if you would to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 16. Once you flip over there and you start scanning through this particular passage, you'll know it's the story of Samson. Um, As a kid, I always loved reading Bible stories. You know, my mom would read me Bible stories at night before I went to bed and things like that. I always loved the story of Samson. Now, what kid wouldn't like a story about a really awesome guy that God used to beat the snot out of people, right? That's, that's my kind of Bible hero. You know, This guy's ripping animals in two by their jaws. He's taking the jaws of animals and killing people by the thousands. Uh, that's the kind of Bible character I don't want to be involved in. You know, you know, dress up for Halloween or something like that. I don't want to be Moses, okay? Moses parted the water. And while that's awesome, I want to be the guy that just whips up on everybody, right? Beats all the, the bad people who say bad stuff about God. Uh, that's the story of Samson. So I always loved Samson growing up. But this, this passage in, in Judges chapter 16 is the, where he's been deceived by Delilah. And you know the story. He says, she says, tell me your secret, tell me your secret. And he's like, I'm not going to tell you my secret or I'm going to make up a lie. Finally, he comes down to it and he tells her the secret. But take a look at Judges chapter 16, verse 17. That he told her all his heart and said unto her, there hath not come a razor upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I, be, I shall become weak and be like any other man. Wow! You know what Samson's greatest fear was? His greatest fear was not losing his strength. His greatest fear was not getting beat up and bound by the Philistines. You know what his greatest fear was? That he's going to be just like everybody else. He Because you know why? Because he knew from his mother's womb God had made him special. God had a big plan in store for his life. God had set him apart had placed his hand upon him in a very unique way like very few people ever in the Bible. And God had big plans for his life. And his worst fear was that he would be average. So many times we as Christians want to be average. Well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I should probably get to church because I haven't been in a while. And we want to be average and just kind of meet up to where everybody else is at. That's not good enough. God created us for greater works. But we sometimes get content with the average. Our nation has gotten into the, the mess that it's in now by being average. I'm not the type of person that's just going to sit around and gripe and complain about how bad our nation is, but we're in a mess right now, okay? I'm not the type of person either that's a doomsayer that says we'll never get out of this because I believe that we will. I believe God wants to show himself strong in churches like this, in cities like this, and do supernatural works and see greater works accomplished. I believe that, and I'll go to my grave believing that. Your, your pastor this morning said, you know, if, if we stop proclaiming God's goodness, he'll get the rocks to do it. God's going to get glory one way or another. And I, I believe today he wants to use the local New Testament church. Do you want to see greater works for your city? I hope so. I spent some time in prayer this morning for the city of Sydney. That God would use this church to make a supernatural difference in, in this church, in the surrounding area, and throughout your county. I hope you pray the same way. If so, are you doing anything to make that happen? I want to see greater works in my family. I want to see greater works in this church. But you know where all of those greater works start at? Right here. I can't expect other people to do do what I'm not doing. I can't expect to be a part of something great, yet not willing to be striving for great in my own life. Let me ask you this question. We're totally done here. Are you seeing greater works in your life? If you're not, we've seen four prerequisites of seeing these greater works take place in our life tonight tight relationship with with Jesus, a yieldedness to God, a filling of the Holy Spirit, a prayer life that asks God to do the supernatural through your life. I think, people, I want to challenge you going to teen camp this week. I hope you have a blast, and I know you will. But I want to see you guys come out on the other side of this going, man, God's going to do something great with my life, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm not going to be caught up in and the things of this world that all my friends are getting mixed up in. I'm not going to be sucked into what the world wants from me. I'm looking towards doing greater works with my life. Because here's, here's the bottom line, folks, all of us, young people, old people, anybody that's saved here tonight is going to stand before what we call the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to have to look my Savior that died for me eyeball to eyeball and give an account for what I did in my life. Worst thing I could ever say to him is, I was okay. I did okay. But I can say, I lived every single day looking for greater works. He left me the power of the Holy Spirit and your word to do incredibly awesome things. And I swung for the fences every single day of my life. It wasn't perfect, but I did my best. I want to have that testimony when I stand face to face. I know none of us will be satisfied with what we've done when we stand before God one day. But the fact of the matter is, we need to be preparing for that day every single day of our lives. I want to see God through this church do greater works. Let's bow for prayer. God, I thank you for this opportunity to look into your word.